This podcast is graciously sponsored by the Yellow Bird Pet Shop, the shop in which calms and provides guidance for all. Visitors can consult with Dr. Yellowbird as he provides counseling to those who are in desperate need. If you are suffering from anxiety, stress, or other traumatic events, stop by today. Or if you are in need of some quality time with pets, do not hesitate to stop by. Located on Dream Street, right beside Hartman's Cafe and Perry's Pawn Shop, it is a spot you do not want to miss. Hi, welcome to the 69th episode of Murders on the Street. I'm your host, Aiden Weibel, and the guest star today is... Maddie Seacrest. What's up, Maddie? Sup, Aiden? Today we'll be discussing... We will be discussing the murder of the Clutter family through the book In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. Well, although scary and unfortunate, murders occur almost daily in every part of the world, Aiden. Heck yeah, they do. That's why we have to lock our doors every night. <laughs> why don't you tell us about the murder that happened in the Clutter family? I do agree with that. I do lock my doors every night. Well, basically, on November 15th, 1959, in a small in the small town of Kansas, which is known as Holcomb, four individuals were murdered by two killers known as Perry Smith and Dick Hickok, which seemed to have, well, no apparent murder, right? No apparent motive, right? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. Well, then American novelist Truman Capote analyzes and describes the murder of the Clutter family by taking the audience through the events before, during, and after the murder. He organizes such details into the four sections of his novel titled The Last to See Them Alive, Person Unknown, Answer, and The Corner. These particular sections address the entirety of the murder case. They address the lifestyles of the Clutter family, the two murderers, and the detectives and other friends involved. Now, Capote makes certain to not let any detail of this murder out, taking nearly six years to write, which is crazy, by the way. Capote's general purpose was to inform the public entirely on all aspects of the case, something that newspaper articles failed to do. Yeah, throughout the entirety of his nonfiction novel, Capote seriously considers his audience. Definitely. I can definitely agree with that one. I actually read this novel twice, and I could tell how much time he put into considering the audience. I mean, I really felt like I was in the minds of the murderer. Yeah, I feel like that was his main purpose. Uh-huh. At the time of writing, he knew that many people already knew details about the case because of close friends, relatives, or the news at the time. Definitely. Cody stuck to the facts and provided further detail. Again, detail that would have never been shown in the newspaper. He dives into the personal lives of the victim, murderers, and those working on the case. He prevents information in ultimately an unbiased manner. His main goal is to present all the sides of the case and all the events before, during, and after in order to show the audience who exactly these murderers were. But they spent endless amounts of time researching and interviewing them. He even spent time with the killers. He puts the audience through the lives of Perry Smith and Dick Hickok and characterizes them by using flashbacks to show their past. He wants you to think that they are a person, not just a murder. It gives the audience a sense of who exactly the people are behind the horrendous murderers and essentially why they may have done what they did. Definitely. Okay, yeah. So anyways, not only does Capote characterize these murderers, but he identifies their appearances, quirks, and habits. You know, it is able to be seen that Perry Smith struggled through a difficult childhood. I mean, being thrown around from orphanage to orphanage, brutally beaten, and having rough connection with his mother and father. His struggles with finding himself and accepting himself and finding his own sexual desires is definitely shown, right? Yeah, definitely. That definitely built up his path to the murder that we know him as yeah and now dick on the other hand well we didn't really get too much information about dick which was quite odd and i'm not really sure why capote chose not to put so much 
And those definitely have twisted paths, like like yeah. all villains do in movies. They, they and definitely stuff. do. But I noticed that like there wasn't a lot of right. Wasn't there way more detail in Perry's life? Yeah. He, it almost felt to me that like Truman might have not got a detailed interview with Dick. Yeah, maybe Dick didn't expose as much to the family. Mm-hmm. Maybe he lived a more normal life, so it wasn't mm-hmm. didn't lead to him being definitely because the only thing really that. Um, Capote really described about Dick um, mostly was his sexual habits and tendencies with younger women. But all through the characterization of these men, we are able to see the killers not only as human, but draw connections to their possible motives of killing the Flutter family. You know, by like seeing how their past was, not necessarily your past does not always connect you to what kind of murders you might do, but it definitely gives us a reason. And since the murder was so unexpected, Capote's utilization of vividly describing the murderers, their lifestyles, and their constant need for money aids in the audience's understanding of the motives and case in general. The way Capote appeals to emotion in his work is almost conflicting. Through his use of specifically similes, alliteration, imagery, and symbolism, he makes the murderers specifically Perry Smith, since he incorporates more detail on him, seem as a person whom one should sympathize with and have compassion with, right? Yeah, he definitely wants you to feel bad for them, but then at the same time, he reminds you that they're rapists, thieves, and murderers. Yeah. So it kind of contradicts what he's doing there, but I think that's that's the whole point of him writing this book, not to just give you what the newspaper gives you, to give you like definitely. that they're actually people. Mm-hmm. And since, of course, the readers are first utterly shocked and horrified by this murder, they become conflicted, like Aiden said, in their emotions as Capote begins to show the true sides of the killers in a compassionate manner. With his rhetorically effective style, he allows the audience to get inside the heads of the killers and follow their journey throughout the murder case. Our next sponsor is brought to you by Garrigan's Fish Market. If it's not straight off the fly, then it's rank. Heck yeah, I mean, I love visiting his market. I mean, at first I was like, oh, like I almost passed out. The fishy smell, all the bodies of the fish really scared me there. What about the poems? Oh, poems everywhere. The poems posted on the walls. You know, it was interesting because I didn't see many poems about fish, which was quite interesting since he has his own fish shop. But I mean, let him do him. But anyways, the smell, the smell was horrendous. And I used to, you know, I used to like hate it, pass out the first day. And actually I did pass out. The paramedics came and everything. That was indeed funny. But another story for another podcast. But, um. Now, I'm usually fine with it. I enjoy buying my fish there, and it's not rank, which was so good. Yep, fish fish smacks. Fish smacks. And, oh, okay. So, let's not forget about the Clutter family here, right? Yeah, Herb, Bonnie, Nancy, and Kenyon, who are all unfairly removed from their ability to live. Although Capote allows the audience to sympathize with Perry and Dick, he does not let the true victims be left unnoticed. Which is a point that I would like to say. It was very interesting for me. I was kind of shocked by the layout of here, like how he really went into the murderer's life, the murderer's lives. But I really liked it because he did not let one detail go. And I mean, imagine reading a book with just facts, like just this is what happened, they killed it. Because usually murderers, you just see like their height, their weight, and what they did. But it was so nice to see the inside of their lives. But I'm glad he didn't let the true victims story behind because that's very important as well but i'm glad he didn't incorporate the murders sorry i'm going on a tangent go ahead Aiden. i don't know if we would describe it as nice because they did kill people 
And I know, but like it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah, it gives it a to, different, a yeah. different vibe. That's why mm-hmm. this is one of the first people to actually do that because you never Definitely. really hear about it. You just read it in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. You don't usually don't want to hear about the people that killed mm-hmm. them. You feel bad for the family. Yeah, but and we still point, do. We still do. We still sympathize with them. But it's nice for another thing. Anyways, back to the Clutter family. Take it away. He also describes their lives and successes mm-hmm. in a descriptive fashion. Definitely, he vividly describes how hard Herb Clutter works to build his home and establish his own farm. He often describes how much of a good person Herb was to oh, the, to the yes. community. He kind of like hypes him up throughout the whole book, like mm-hmm. 10 totally. out of 10 solid guy. Totally. He also describes the struggles of Bonnie. He describes mm-hmm. a creative, the creative and intelligent mind of Kenyon. Mm-hmm. He describes the pleasing quality of Nancy yeah. and her way of always putting others first. Like this whole family is just generally, it was almost too good to be true. Like a how dream much people family. Liked them. Yeah. yeah, like a American mm-hmm. white fence. Mm-hmm. Yep. He, through these descriptions, he delineates a small yet prominent message. The American dream is fragile. Definitely. Like we said with the fence. All mm-hmm. of Herb's work and successes were destroyed in a matter of minutes as Perry and Dick invaded his home. He took a matter of $50 and slashed his throat and shot him to death. Totally. That is crazy. And I was very, sh- you know, I really thought that Capote really showed this little theme in here because... He showed how hard Herb worked, right? I mean, he worked so hard to create his farm and his family, and his kids are all so successful in life, and then boom, it just ends. And it just shows you, like, your dreams, they can freaking end. Yeah, before they slit his gizzard, they had a whole plan that, like, didn't even work. Their whole plan was off talking to a guy in jail, then there was no safe, and that's that's really what they're there. Yeah, so, I mean, they were killed for basically nothing, for literally $50, which is crazy. Imagine being killed for $50 and having a dream. That is, that is crazy. Okay, so let's get more to like the style and his context in the actual book. So through all of his vivid descriptions, what exactly, Aiden, was one of the most rhetorically effective use of energy that Capote um, utilized for me, personally, I enjoyed reading the description of the food that Dick consumed in Mexico. As he described the tortilla as oily and cold, it felt like I was almost eating their tortilla. Caputi really paints the picture for everything from how the murder was conducted right down to the food choices of the murderers. I mean, his imagery is fantastic. Yeah, he especially describes how they were murdered and how like their blood was on the wall and mm-hmm. to all that detail. And you mentioned to me that you read that part how many times? Probably three just to get what he was trying to say because it's unbelievable. Very vivid. Yeah, very vivid. Mm-hmm. But one of the countless examples of Capote's vivid use of imagery that specifically captured my attention when he was describing the scene of Perry and Dick's location in Mexico. He says, and I quote, mountains, a hawk wheeling in a white sky, a dusty road winding into and out of a white and dusty village, page 107 to 108. He paints a picture of the location, letting the audience feel like they're actually there. Yes, and it definitely felt like every single location, Kansas, Mexico, every location he describes so vividly. And I mean, the first page of his chapter, of the chapter, he talks about Hulk Holman, Kansas, like pages and pages in description. Sets and some, yeah, sets it up. But some people might be like, well, that's not necessary. But why would you describe a murder without so much detail? I mean, it's important to not miss any detail. And imagine how boring it would be without, like, without any details, you know? Exactly. And it's not even that he incorporates detail. Just the way he does it is so smooth and vivid. And it paints the picture so perfectly. I mean, back to the tortilla. I mean, I could taste that on my tongue. It was crazy. But, yeah, definitely vivid imagery there. Yeah, he took a different approach on describing the murder. Mm -hmm. So he was... 
he was just texting his testing his diction and his syntax mm-hmm. on what what needed to be described through imagery. Definitely. Now another quality of Capote style that must be noticed must must be noticed is his use of third person omniscient point of view. Although he did extensive research and many interviews with everyone, he referred to everyone in his book in third person omniscient. This point of this use of point of view allowed the readers to deeply connect with each character and get into the minds of the victims and the killers. With a third person point of view, Capote was able to reveal each person's emotions successfully. As the novel led to the penalty for the two murders, I found it fascinating how Capote vividly described the last five years of Perry and Dick's lives before they were murdered. It was weird because he gave details and details on the letters they received and the people who visited them in their cells and the food they ate. But when it came time to hang them, the description was very short. There were not pages long of details describing their execution. I mean, for me, I think the purpose of this is to show how Dick and Perry had a life and they're not definitely defined by their execution. But, I mean, what do you think? I think that maybe the description of them being hanged was short because when someone is hanged, it's only a mere 20 minutes. Like, when it's supposed to be a quick death, and that just might be why uh-huh. he summed it up real quick. Okay, definitely. The ending of the book was kind of probably the most boring part, in my opinion, because it just went on and on about other people, like the aspects of the court case. Which I, I'm sure are very important to like the case itself, but it, it talked about how he tried to go to the Supreme Court, didn't make it. Went into a lot of detail about the death trial too. Or, I mean, mm-hmm. the death penalty and like if it was accept- acceptable at that state in that time. But like at that point in the book, I just wanted to to read about these murderers get killed. I mean, good point. You just wanted to see them end their lives. But I feel like although I get you on that, it was kind of very tedious with all these other explanations. It gave us more insight to the other people on the death row. I mean, we saw into life. It was a young man. His name was Andrew. He was very young. He killed his, he killed his family and he was on the death row for a while too. So I feel like, although for some people it might've been unnecessary, I think Capote's reason for this was to add more detail and show how others were on the death row and how others experiences were on the death row too. So not only did he talk about Perry and Dick, but he also compared how they murdered and like how their feelings (coughs) were. And they compared it to other murderers who were also on death row. Yeah, maybe he was opening it up to other authors to maybe talk about maybe. other murder cases that happened mm-hmm, throughout history. there's not many novels, well, especially back then, about a murder case, you know? A legit nonfiction murder case with actual facts. Yep. So, yeah. On the- so, as we end this podcast, we once again will discuss what we think the author's purpose was. So, like we said throughout our conversation, our podcast today, I mean, the overall purpose was to really educate everyone on this murder case, the murder case, the Clutter family, how the Clutters were murdered, especially because I think, especially back then and even now, I mean, we have so much gossip of what's right and what's wrong, and sometimes it's fake. We don't even know what's right. And so I feel like Capote, even though this was back in nineteen, the 1900s, he really took this case so seriously. I mean, he worked for literally six years, and he took it so seriously and he interviewed everyone. He got all the details, all the facts, and he did not leave anything out. And he did not put any lies in there. He did not put anything biased in there. And he just really wanted to inform the audience. And also, he knew. He knew that some people already knew about the case. And then he knew that some people did not know about the case at all. You know? So, of course, some people may have already knew about the case. 
but they did not know about the detailed lives of Perry and Dick, or maybe they didn't even know about the clutters too much, or they didn't know how much the detectives worked on this case, or how much detail and thought was put into this case, and all the controversy. You know, it really hits on every single point. And of course, the people who do not know anything about it, well, they get informed every they get informed about everything. And it's not even that he just wrote this all down, blah, blah, blah. It's so rhetorically effective. I mean, you have the detailed imagery, you have comparisons, you have different sections breaking up part, part, keeping the reader's mind very, I mean, it's very rhythmic. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. I feel like in today's age, we need something that's structured. It's not fake news mm -hmm. that someone spends this much time on instead of just a title in the news that everyone reads. So doesn't even further explore the story to see if it's mm -hmm. true. When people read this or when we read it, we know this is the facts. We know this is true. There's no bias. And that's something that we're missing today. So maybe more people or news authors need to put more time into what they're trying to create. Yeah, because I feel like, of course, like for fast facts, we just want to quickly search up an article about, oh, who murdered who? Oh, the guy did this, whatever. But I think it's very nice. It's a very nice quality to really see like into the lives of the murderers, you know, that aspect is usually lost a lot too. And I feel like it's good to put that in consideration. And I feel like Capote's also showing that like, yes, Dick and Perry, they did something so horrible, but they're also humans too. And let's not forget about the qualities that made them them and possibly, well, made them murder. I mean, they were desperate for money at some points. I mean, Perry had a hard childhood. He was possibly <coughs> maybe um, taking his anger out on the Clutter family. So I feel like he just adds so much details that we would have missed um, just simply watching the news or getting it from an article. And he definitely just uses, he really uses these rhetorical strategies and organizes it so well that definitely from start to finish, I was definitely intrigued. I don't know about you, Aiden. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a good book. Interesting read. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely suggest to everyone out here listening to go ahead and grab a copy. I mean, a great summer read. We're coming up on the summer season. so Yeah, I think this just about wraps up the 69th episode. Uh -huh. It was great having you on here, Mad Dog. Thank you, Aiden. Dab me up, brother. Nice, nice. See you on the next episode of Murders on the Streets. Bye. Bye. <laughs>